Hello, and welcome to the Well-Spoken Podcast, where transformational leaders explore the mindsets, motivations, and methodologies of impact-driven businesses. I am your host, Dr. Delray Messer, doctor of chiropractic, social impact entrepreneur, mom of two, and a go-giver, empowering you through the stories of leaders who dare to challenge the status quo and collaborate to co-create an equitable and sustainable future together. Hello and welcome back to the Well-Spoken Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Delray Messer. I am here with my amazing co-host, Dr. Jenny Hiller, and we have a very special guest for you today in honor of launching our June 24th course, Unlocking Intimacy. This special guest is exciting. She's raw, real, authentic, honest. We had a beautiful conversation and I cannot wait for you to meet her. I am excited to have Dr. Jenny introduce you to Jen McVan. Yay, I get to do this. I love it because Jen and I have known each other for quite a few years. We're not going to talk about how many because apparently that's like a social faux pas, but we have been in our master's program together where we both became licensed marriage and family therapists And I have known Jen all throughout her career as a sex therapist. In fact, we practiced really close in the same building. And so that was always fun to see one another as we were like running to the bathroom or saying, oh, hey, how are you? And Jen has built a practice of her own, very similar to to myself, working with sexuality, adults, couples, people who are saying there's stuff going on in my life that I want to talk about. And she's there to talk about all of the uncomfortable things and to share with us today some of how she brings that up to other people. How she says, oh, why don't you look through this lens? Why don't you try this? And we want to share that with all of you. So Jen, we're excited to have you with us. I appreciate your time because I value you. So we have questions for you. Well, let's deep dive in. What is your earliest memory or when did you know you wanted to get into the industry that you were in? Mm. Well, as as I've told you, ladies, this is a tricky question for me because the answer makes me sound already a little bit crazy out of the gate. So I was actually in a teaching education. I was an English teaching major. I was student teaching. And, um, but I noticed a couple things. One is that I cared way more about like why the kid in the back of the room and my remedial 11th grade English class had uh, a giant wad of money. I cared way more about that than I did about teaching him how to read and write about To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, though that's fun to do. Um, but the real reason was I kept going to this grocery store that was near my house uh, late at night. And there was always a woman who was working the same shift. And every time I was there, I felt like I was in some ways like violating her by knowing really intimate details about her life. And I didn't know. Um, because I was not raised in a household where like intuition or psychic intuition was a thing even discussed, much less acknowledged as a potential real thing. I felt like I wanted to just make it stop. And again, because I was raised in a family that really valued education, my thought was never like go to an intuitive or talk to somebody who could teach me about this. It was definitely, I should maybe go to grad school and maybe just maybe they will teach me some energetic boundaries, which is not in any way what happens when you go to grad school to become a therapist. Um, which it completely should, because how often are we in a space with people and we can immediately, like, say you like go to your friend's house and you knock on their door and they open it and you can immediately tell they were just having a fight five minutes before you got there. It's like energy is big and real and it spreads out. And so if anybody needs to have help with that, it's therapist. Turned out I, I ended up having to go another 
15, 10, 15 years before I was able to start accessing the appropriate teachers to help me figure out how to like put some boundaries around the work that was emerged, the things that were emerging in me. Thank you for sharing. Uh, so interesting. Can't wait to deep dive into more of that. And what piqued your curiosity for diving into sexual health uh, specialty? Well, I found that I was like, like Jenny and I, we, like she said, we were in a group, um, a large group practice together for a while. And um, they would have pretty decently sized and decently attended uh, super like consult groups. And I found that except for when Jenny was in the room, I was one of the only people talking about sex or asking questions of like, so we would present cases that we were having difficulty with. And then the therapists around the table could also give feedback. And, and people just kept saying like, well, I don't know, Jen, those, just, those things just don't really come up with me. And, and so I was able to, do you ask, like, are you the therapist asking about sex? And, and everybody basically said no. And, I, and, and so it, it honestly became like, I can say the words penis and vagina without blushing. And um, apparently people need to, because most of Minnesota, at least, seems like they cannot. So <laughs> so um, then a friend at the very right time when I was in some personal turmoil and wanting to escape all of the players involved in that, um, invited me to uh, the, an ASECT conference. And without thinking about it at all, I said yes. And um, and I think that's sort of how like the best, like almost intuitively like guided things happen where you just say yes, to, like right away. So this colleague asked me if I wanted to go. I said yes. By the end of the super interesting, I mean, you don't like fall, sex, fall asleep at a sex therapy conference. Like it's, that's interesting content. So like I, I went, I came back and I was like, oh, I'm a lot of the way to, a, to already having like the credentials now to doing this because it's such a long conference. And so I reached out to Jenny, who was also already um, had was already doing the sex therapy stuff, and we talked about it, and just got on the path. For any of you listening that have continuing ed, uh, like myself, I completely understand and uh, and can relate to what an interesting topic that would be compared to what I have to listen to. <laughs> um, curious, what is the most common issue in your practice, or why do people primarily come to you? I mean, I think. Almost all of my clients pick me, at least in some part, because they could talk about sex if they wanted to. Not all of them make that. That's not everybody's, I'd say about half of them, sexuality related things are, are their primary focus. But a lot of the people just want to know that they could talk about it. And that. Um, and so it, for me, it sort of encompasses like all the sexual health things. There's a lot about like um, gender identity, sexuality exploration, um, non-monogamous folks, a lot of times just people who have had like trauma around sexuality, um, people who are going through kind of like a lot of people who are going through, I would say like personal awakenings and finding that they don't resonate as well with the life that they used to have as they do now. Um, and that sexuality is often like, a can be a door opener or like you can feel like there's a stuck door there that is part of the problem that that door needs to open. And then around town, I'm also noticed, known for being um, one of the few sex therapists in town who also is like trained in OCD. And so I end up seeing a lot of folks who have OCD um, that didn't end up being, uh, that wasn't a specialty of mine at first. It wasn't something I actually pursue, but again, the universe provides and I have uh, children with OCD. So <laughs> um, I ended up getting to know a lot about it and um, through the course of having to, you know, work through that stuff with my kids. And so then I end up seeing a lot of folks because sexuality when people have a lot of anxiety or OCD, sexuality can 
is never separate from that. It's always impacted. It's all connected. Absolutely. Okay. I think Jenny has a few questions for you. I do. So you could tell I was like, huh? When you, I commonly find myself saying to people that when we're in an anxious state, good luck getting turned on. Right. Like it's that when we're feeling like, oh, there's like, what about, what about, what about, there's no way that you're going to calm and soothe yourself and get into your body and into your pleasure. So it's like, good luck. So when you bring that up, I think, well, yeah, of course, of course, right. Like you're known for being able to tell people and work with them, give them tools for how to calm, for how to be in their body as opposed to, I shouldn't say calm probably, but calm and be in their body as opposed to in their head and in their fear. So some of what you and I have talked about is the process of getting to know yourself and becoming intimate with just you and paying attention to your, I mean, like increasing self-awareness as opposed to who am I to that person? Who am I to this person? What about that? Right? Like, so how is it? And it's a, it's an X and Y axis in some ways. That's how I talk about it. I know you have different language, but I'd love for you to share that with people because I think how you have worked with others to learn that about themselves is so valuable. Yeah. I think the words that I sometimes use for myself is like being like in vertical alignment or like parenting downward um, before we go like outward horizontally to other people. And I think we're, we're all trained to do the very opposite of that, right? So we even like learn about ourselves and as a reflection of other people, even as babies, right? When you're playing like peekaboo with a baby, like what they're really doing is seeing like, can I make you do something? Can I make you smile? Can I like, where did you go? How do I reference in reference to you? Um, We learn like we are worthy when our like moms or dads, like when their faces light up or like when they smile at us. And so we try to make them smile. We try to provoke changes in them. And so from this like, from like a very like survivalist way, like where we we're, we're trying to learn how to survive, we need our caregivers to show up for us. So we try to be real cute to get them to keep coming back to us. But it also like teaches us who we are. Unfortunately, like that pattern, I think in adulthood really like it kept us really safe as a kid. It taught us how do I meet maybe my volatile parents' needs? How do I manage um, my sad parents' needs? Like so that I can make sure that I'm safe and taken care of and getting my needs met. But unfortunately, it also really like separates us from our own internal knowing. And so we're really conditioned by the time we get into adulthood to um, feel things inside and immediately want to go outside of our body to like to make it stop, to have other people say, like, I have a need that you have to meet. Um, Sometimes we go out just to distract ourselves. (laughs) Um, But we're often usually really doing a lot of like seeking from others to fill internal needs that we haven't, that we don't even realize we're the internal parent. Um, There's like a lot of uh, talk in the world sort of lately about kind of internal parts. That's a really popular um, modality. And I think it's a beautiful one that works really well with this idea that when we have like internal um, younger wounded parts, we are we really have like a wisest self that is the parent of all of these people. Like it's kind of like parenting the whole conference room table and having to like help manage them. And um, over the course of the last several years, this has really been like my own personal work too, has been learning how to, um, and, and I think that's how therapy goes, by the way. I think therapists are always like sharing in therapy what their own personal work is. Um, <laughs> so that's why it's important we keep doing our own personal work because our therapy gets better as we do. Uh, But 
in my, as my own, in my own personal work, I was in a relationship that mattered more to me than I could, can express. And when that relationship ended, the, like, I found that the, the ending of that relationship that felt like abandonment to an inner part, um, was really just like replicating younger childhood wounds. And over the time course of working with that energy, what I started to realize was like, this is an invitation to my personal growth as opposed to abandonment, right? This is an invitation for me to learn how to like parent down and to take and to re like reparent the parts that felt like they were abandoned as a kid and, and to like learn how to show up for myself. So all the feelings that I wanted was why won't this person, you know, still talk to me? Why doesn't this person still want to be with me? Why doesn't this person want to like all the like, kind of like the internal parts that feel very like grabby and clingy and like they want to reach out for someone. Like I really had to learn how to like both sit with them and then show up for those parts and, um, and like parent down and say like, I am here now. Like this is not, this is the opportunity for me to stop self-abandoning, right? Because I sort of had to self-abandon sometimes in childhood to get love and approval. I don't anymore because now you know, 13 year old me might be in here throwing a fit that somebody has left her, but like almost 48 year old me is here, is here with her now all the time. So 13 year old me at one time was the oldest person in my body house, but like 47 year old here me is, is here all the time with her. So she doesn't have to be alone. She has to be with me and I have to take care of her now. And I think like, that's where like a lot of the work that I've been doing is like, like, in all of my things, it's like when I feel an urgency to act, which I do a lot because I'm kind of impulsive in that way. Like when I feel an urgency to act, I should almost always sit the hell down. Like I need to like just sit down a minute and like pause. And because often with the way I want to act, especially relationally, is like if I feel like a lot of urge to act, it's because I want to be defensive or protective in some way. And so it's like pause. Pause, sister. Sit down. Like, let's talk about this. Let's get curious about what's happening inside of there. <laughs> Why is this triggering all of your shit? <laughs> and, and what are we going to do about that? And then having me show up, like, wisest self show up for this younger part before I take it to the person that I might be upset with or needing something from. And then often I feel like, oh, I don't really need to. That was just a me thing. That was a thing I just needed to deal with with myself. And the longer I've been doing this work and the older I'm getting, the more I'm wondering, like, are there any means that are valid to take to a, to somebody else? And I think there are, but I'm like, the question is even coming to me because it used to be so much of my work with couples was like helping people talk to each other about how the other person can meet their needs. And now I'm like, that's ridiculous. Who can meet all those people's needs? <laughs> like, I mean, we are all barely meeting our own needs. <laughs> and so like my work is really shifting as I'm thinking like, and, and I'm admitting it may, it may, I'm, my pendulum may be swinging too far. I may have to come back a little bit to the middle, but right now I'm just thinking like, I think we all have to meet our own needs first. And so everything that we're feeling like we want to go out to get where we want, like that horizontal alignment is like, I need somebody else to approve of me or to validate me or to promise me they'll never leave me, which is not a thing that anybody actually can promise. Like those are all the things that in fact, like I need to like, downward parent like I will never leave you I approve of you I validate you I see you even when you mess up I you're still good enough you're still worthy right so even if this other person is angry at you I still think you're okay like which is the only way we genuinely get okay right if we if we are only okay when someone else approves of us 
then we have to do a lot to keep their approval. Like we can never actually be our authentic selves because we, we might lose it that. So we mortgage authenticity for belonging all the time. And I think this is like the new, this, this idea for me has been like, you know, working on for several years internally is like, how do I show up and how do I show up for myself? So how do I like say like, you will always belong with me, even if you do not belong to the world. Like you have internal integrity here. So then you can be less afraid to show up authentically in the world. I relate to so much of this and thank you because that was so much wisdom. If we ended here, the amount of value that women and anyone listening would receive is just unbelievable. So thank you. And if I can share transparently, I did this work as well. And I think becoming an observer is so powerful, right? Even Mm -hmm. that concept of taking yourself out of it to be able to look back and observe what has shaped us and mortgage or authenticity for belonging. Hello. That is a quote. Jen McBann, everyone like right there. Um, when I look back at what shaped that I, um, I was stood up for my high school prom in uh, 11th grade. And I remember, and it was a week before prom and small town is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And I was an athlete, you know, an academic and everything was rooted in external validation And that just sent me in a tailspin, but I had to keep the face on because who would I tell? I I couldn't share those feelings authentically with anyone. I didn't feel comfortable or safe enough to, because I had to put on the mask of the achiever. And I thought, I'll just, I'll, I'll just get through this with a happy face. And I did not realize that that moment of abandoning myself and not just being honest about how, how hurt I was, was you know, the moment that really shaped what I felt I deserved in relationships. And I would become anyone that they wanted me to be to never have that hurt happen again. And it was a repeat pattern for decades before I woke up to needing to parent down and becoming the wise woman I am today. But going back to that moment and holding my hand and saying, you know, that hurt. That was hard. Um, Thankfully, I had an incredible friend that came with me. He was so gracious. He got a tux in a week. He showed up um, for me. And that was also another moment to say, you know, even when we do feel like we're abandoning ourselves, there are people around us to support us through those moments. And um, it was a really powerful I just had to share that. I felt it was so personal. I have never told anyone really that publicly, but you allowed me to be able to just share, you know, openly in that space and doing the work on myself for, you know, years is one thing, um, but then entering a partnership is another. So how do we take this work into a partnership? I know for myself, the past six and a half, seven years of a very healthy relationship, feeling safe enough to be my authentic self and again, become an observer and, meet my needs, be able to express them. But like you said, feel the responsibility of being able to own my needs and being okay with that is also very brave. And it took a lot of work to be able to, you know, step away from that need of belonging. Uh, So can you share with us what your perspective would be once we enter a relationship, when we've done this work, how do we maintain our authenticity and stop mortgaging it and own it? I mean, honestly, I think it's like, I think it really becomes for so many of us, not, it's like the work of our forties. I'm so impressed by the people who get to it early. So well done to you for like starting it before then, because I just think like twenties and thirties are still so much running through like the conditioning of the world. Um, that say like, here's the path to happiness, right? You, you do these things, you know, 
you may go to college, you get a job, you get an apartment, then you get a you know partner, you get a house, you get some kids, like, and you just do the things. And then eventually you're like, I did all the things. And this is where it brought me. <laughs> it, it was supposed to be magic. It wasn't magic. I, now I did the things and I'm still just unsatisfied. And <laughs> one of our, one of Jenny and my girlfriends said once when she hit like 43, she was just like, do you find that you're just so angry all the time? And it was just like, welcome to the fold, sister. We have been waiting for you. <laughs> and because I think there comes this time where you like start to look around and realize all the ways that the conditioning has actually just like effed everybody over. I'm not sure I'm supposed to swear here, but I warned you all. It's just a, it's a fact. So like, it's just a, I'm a problem child in this way. Like it makes us so like, it just, it is like, it is the thing that separates us from our own power, right? It's the thing that separates us from our own knowing because we're doing so much to keep like, like that story you tell that makes me like, oh, like, so like, like my, my, my mama bear comes out for little you who was like stood up and, um, I'm thinking like, yeah, in a small town, like how much am I doing to like gain approval to make sure I feel safe in this small space where like, especially in small towns, it's often really hard to feel like you, if you, if you're a person who might stand out, like, um, you know, if you're a queer kid, if you're a kid who has any difference about them that might show up, it's like, you really work hard to be like, how can I hide this or like, or sell this in a way that's appealing to other people so that I can still feel safe. And so I think it's not that we're trying to like walk away from an, a need for belonging. It's just that we're trying to build a bridge for belonging with that comes from within, right? Because it's such an emotionally, like to put all your emotional eggs in somebody else's basket is just such an unsafe prospect, right? Then I only have, like when I'm partnered and I need I need things for my partner. I can only have my needs met when my partner is open, when my partner is not overwhelmed. Like, I mean, if any of us have kids and jobs and stuff, whose partner isn't overwhelmed? Like when my, our partner has extra, right? Like we are, we, we tend to like fill our own cup first. And, and if we have extra, unless we're like, I don't know, maybe moms, I feel like we fill everybody else's cup first too, but like we can only get partners. Let's be honest with the last people on the list, right? Like, if you have kids, you will give to them first. Um, you will sometimes give to your parents first, depending on where they are in your life. You know, you, you give to a lot of others, but the partner is that person that you trust to be like there all the time. And so we tend to go to them last. They also tend to not be a squeaky wheel as much. Like they're not like little kids who are crying and demanding attention. So like they can just be quiet and standing there for a long time without us noticing they actually had needs too. But we tend to like we're all overwhelmed. So when, when it's like, I, I don't want to have my emotional needs met only when somebody who's overwhelmed and overtaxed is like at the end of their day and maybe will turn to me and meet my needs. Like that's just a bad idea. So it's like, it's rather than like saying, I'm going to give all my needs to my partner. Um, because remember like almost all those under like younger needs, all those needs are really more like younger parts screaming for something. Right. So when a younger part doesn't need an adult man. I'll say it that way. I know I said it to you all differently. I won't say it that way on this, but like they don't, they don't need an older man. They need like a mom or a dad, right? They need like you. And so it's more that you're like building a bridge between your younger selves and your current self, your wisest self to say like, I'm going to be the one who attends first. So I think what I'll often say with people when you're having issue with your partner that, and you're like, anytime you feel like a, a strong, like a negative feeling, right? Which might be anger, defensiveness, like irritation. You don't understand me. You don't see me. Or it could be the opposite where it's like with strong urge to flee or to withdraw, um, to just get away, to stop listening, to tune out. Any of these strong negative feelings, like 
frankly, we all have kind of like a handful of that are our go-to. So like get, get used, like get the knowingness of yours, right? Become aware of what yours are. And then when you hear those, those are like the smoke detectors that are going off that are like, oh, a younger part is present, right? Because that younger part used to hide, used to pretend, used to try not to just get not get noticed, um, maybe used to cry and throw a tantrum to get attention. So that younger part, those are like cues. Younger parts are in the house. They are leading. They are now in charge. And like smoke detectors are supposed to tell us when there's a threat, but they're not actually supposed to put out the fire, right? So say when my inner 13-year-old wants to come out, I mean, she's not playing. She will burn the house down with everybody in it. So if she comes out, she should not be in charge, right? She is so good at letting me know that I am feeling threatened and that might be abandoned. <laughs> like she's real good at that. She is not good at problem solving or building a relational bridge to like, see if that doesn't happen. She's just like, fuck y'all I'm out. So like she, she will take down the house. We don't want her in charge. So, but I can't just like shame her and tell her go away. Right. I have to, <laughs> you need to pipe down. I have to, I have to meet her needs first. Otherwise she won't take her hand off the wheel. So when she starts driving my bus, and I'm getting reactive or protective or like, fine, that we should just be done with this. Like that's a time for me to take a time out. So when people get more skilled at this, they can stay in the argument and self-soothe and do all this stuff internally in the moment. But like in the beginning, when you're a baby at this, you just like go to the bathroom. <laughs> I always tell people like, nobody can stop you from going to the bathroom. You're in the middle of the argument. You're like, I have to pee. Goodbye. And then you go into the bathroom. It's like, it's a place you can close the door. And like, you can just be like, okay, what is happening here? Now we show up with some curiosity and some compassion for what we find. Like you sister are really triggered. Like you said, like slipping into the observer. Like I'm not, like, I am not, I am not triggered. I am observing a part of me as triggered. And I'm that gives me just a little bit of distance from that. Like what is happening here? What is this triggering? Probably what younger part, what younger experience in my life does this feel really familiar to? And then like. That's one of the best questions. I just want to say like, highlight that. Put that anywhere you possibly can that says what part, right? Like what is actually coming out right now? What other pain has been brought up? It kind of lead, it does actually lead me very much to, I know in my own work, there are so many childhood experiences that people will reference when it comes to learning about self, right? And learning about how to be close, learning about how to, as you're saying, like have your needs met. And so when we look at some of those childhood experiences and say, how, how is this influencing? Like your, your question was the perfect actual answer to the question I have here, which is how did these experiences influence my ability to be intimate as an adult? Yeah. Right. So you already gave us that answer by saying, well, you can learn about that. Right. Like I, I don't have, I think what you were saying is I'm not going to have the answers as an outside person, but I'm going to help you ask yourself those questions. And that's some of that top down axes paying attention as opposed to the horizontal one where you're looking and saying, well, but do you like me? And are you going to be okay with me if this is what I do? As opposed to saying I'm okay. Yeah. Right. So would you, is it reasonable to say that anytime you notice something in your body, which would be that self-awareness piece that it's like, okay, take a breather. Even if it's, I don't know, I would say just breathing is great <laughs> in general. So being able to take that breather, take a little bit of space or time in the bathroom is fine in your car, in the hallway, something, and just check in yeah. and say, okay, what's coming up? 
right? Like what's coming up? What's this, what's the stuff? And then is this anything that I've known before? Yeah. Like what's the earliest right? part? Like, like this- what's the earliest time I can remember feeling like this? Right. Which is, and cause sometimes people like won't associate, like it was always really hard to get my mom's attention. And now my husband is ignoring me when I'm trying to talk to him. And that's making, I'm so angry that he's constantly on his phone. And it's like, and we can tell ourselves like, I'm justified in being angry. People shouldn't just be on their phone. That's weird. like, and it's like, you know, we can tell like a lot of social stories about how it's like, you know, this is what's wrong with America today. Everybody's just always on their phones. Like we can get real riled up again. That's how, you know, there's a younger part in charge and they should never be driving the bus. Mm-hmm. So they're supposed to like inform us. And then our firefighter who is like our wisest self is supposed to show up and be like, Hey, thanks for letting me know. I will take over now. <laughs> and, but that younger part won't re- like release the wheel until she has her needs met. So we have to like be curious and then like compassionate with what we find. Like, what are you worried about, sweetie? Like, what are you really afraid of? Like, well, what if he leaves us? Well, what if he doesn't see me? What? If, and be like, yeah, I mean, that's really scary. And the answer isn't like, he will never leave you. Cause like, he might, I don't know. Like, it's not, you know, he will all, he does pay attention to you and care about you. Cause maybe he doesn't. We like, we won't believe that. We have to say like, I think what you're trying to say right now matters. I am so glad that you keep trying to like lean into love and that I'm sorry that like, cause often it's like his younger stuff is coming up too. So why is he on his phone all the time? Cause he's overstimulated and, and like, like download, he's like, too, like, he's like shutting down. Right. And he, he's over, he's over functioning and he like for like all day long and now he can't function. So he's like, I'm just like tuning out cause I'm getting oversaturated. So like our childhood stuff is just like hitting up against each other right now. And so it's like, so I can say like, whether he or not, he can meet your needs. Like your needs are valid. I'm, I am here with you and I will make sure that like, that I am always listening to you. And that if we can't work this, figure out a way to do this, then I might find somebody else who can listen to you. But like, let's like, once I can tamp this down, it's like, okay, probably if you, if I know that I, I am being understood and heard and that somebody's going to care. Right. Cause it's like, it's like when your little kid tells you they're having a thing at school and you're like, you want me to take care of it? <laughs> Like, and all the, like, they might say no, but, but if they say yes, all of a sudden they're like, okay, yeah, she's going to take care of it. It's better now. And like, that's kind of what we're saying to the internal younger part is like, I've got you. It's okay. Tell me what you're worried about. I will, I maybe can't stop that from happening, but I can tell you, I will be here if that happens. So like when you were maybe abandoned earlier, you will now have me, you had to do that. It's all alone. And so we say, thank you to those parts. Thank you for going through that. Like we say, thank you to like the younger you who was abandoned at prom. And we say, and we say like, thank you so much for using masking strategies and for being so smart to know that you should put on a happy face and go and pretend like it didn't matter. And although that didn't feel good, I recognize you were doing that to protect us. And maybe in that environment, that actually was the safest thing to do. And now we have different options, right? So like, why is this self is always trying to tell a younger self, like, hey, that was so adaptive. What a super skill that you did that it cost you a lot. It gave you like, it gave you some stuff you had to work through later, but like, it was a really adaptive skill to get that you who had limited choices, who lived in a small town and didn't have a lot of options, didn't have a place. You couldn't go to school somewhere else just because you wanted to like, so she crushed it. But now we have to tell like, why is this all has to be like, but baby girl, we have different options now. So like now we have, we can decide where we live now. Now we we have like a car we can drive away if we don't want to have this fight with somebody if, or if they're being kind of abusive or crappy. Like we have options that we didn't have. So we say like, let me be in charge because I have access to all the options. And when the younger parts come up, they only have access to the age that they are. So like my 13 year old can't do anything other than be 13. And she was real belligerent then. She was feisty. I know it's hard to believe. And, <laughs> but my 
more mellowed out. I, again, hard to believe I know, but my 47 year old self like has different access points. So she can maybe then say, I'm going to calm my own self down in the bathroom. And then I'm going to go out into and talk to my partner because like, I feel like in any kind of partnered exchange, there's like, like a, a whole range of like, I'm this upset um, for people who are just listening. I'm holding my hands apart. And then like, if you, if you take care of all the part that's yours, that's like 75% of it. Right. And then you only have like this quarter bit that's left. And that's much more manageable for your partner to, to, you know, like to handle. If you bring like all of your senior prom wounds to your partner in the middle of a fight, he's just like, I don't know what to do with you lady. This is, what are you talking about? I'm just, I just wanted to go out tonight. Like I'm not abandoning you. You know, like, and it's like, and, and so like that 75% that you might have a legitimate reason about why you're upset that he wants to go out tonight because we are actually like hosting a giant thing tomorrow and you're supposed to be helping me do all the things. Like it's not that compounded by, and I was abandoned another time I needed somebody right before a big event. So like, it's like, pause yourself, collect yourself, go out and say like, and then you deal with historical and they have to deal with present. And that's a much more manageable like partner relationship. So beautifully well-spoken. I have an example, and I think it's important in the context of this because I don't believe I have a healthy relationship because it's always been easy and there's no conflict and there's no challenges. I believe it's healthy because I actually had to face these moments of triggers. And believe it or not, I was actually a runner in high school and in college. So how perfect. That's exactly what I want to do when I, I want to run from that feeling, that bubble. And I always did. And so for the first time, I knew I couldn't. I knew if I wanted to have a healthy relationship, I would have to face it. And I would have to have not even a tough conversation, but just address what I was feeling. And I remember having the first tough conversation. And that's exactly what I felt, Jen. I wanted to run out the door. And I told myself, I said, this is your moment to decide. This is your moment to define whether you are the wise woman that's done the work. And this is so vulnerable. And this is so hard. But this is what needs to be done finally. And so I, I just asked the questions, you know, are you emotionally available? And if not, that's okay. <laughs> but this is what I need and what I desire in a relationship. And it was then so much easier. It became a skill set. It was like that first hard moment of, again, facing that fleeing feeling regulating and then just having the conversation. So I'm so grateful you gave a lot of framework. You gave tangible skill sets. And I'm curious because for, for a long time, I coped with these feelings with work. I would not only mask, but find ways to cope with them. And many of us do. Um, there are many ways that we seek validation externally. I'm curious, what are the many ways that you see and how do you feel social media has played a role in us seeking validation? Do you feel it's unhealthy to seek the likes and the followers? And is that even causing more distance from our self-awareness and self-love? And are we even aware of it at this point? I mean, yeah, those are such complicated questions. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, those are complicated questions. I mean, because they start in just like, like they're every layer, right? Like from the time that we are born, we tell people, their babies are beautiful. <laughs> like, and then if they're girl babies, we just keep saying they're pretty and beautiful over and over and over again, or that they're nice and pleasing and sweet. And we don't use any of those words for boy babies. I'm a mom of three babies, boy babies who are no, who are like ginormous men now. And 
nobody talks to them the way that people talk to my brother's children who are all, uh, who are all women, young women. And, and it's been shocking to me just to see like how, I mean, it's not shocking. It's like, we all know it, but it's like, you just see it at such a young age where like, um, my nieces, by the time that they were two, each of them on Christmas, when they opened the door in a new dress would like turn around and pirouette and like wait to be told they were pretty. And I was like, you don't even speak in full sentences yet. Like you, there's still like kind of a little bit of babble, hard to understand two-year-old talk. And you are understanding already that being pretty is like the source of your power as a woman. And it's like, Oh, that's a hard one to like uncondition when before you're even fully verbal, you already know this is what the world likes about you. Right? This is what the world will say to you. I don't think one of them didn't do that on Christmas when they would answer the door in their pretty new dress that they got for Christmas. And like, and I think that is so like, that's the layers that we're t- like peeling off, which is why my girlfriend was saying in her forties, like, do you find you're just angry all the time? Because you start to see all that conditioning through a different lens. And you're like, yes, actually I am. <laughs> like, maybe I'm a little early for the crone phase to have set in, but it is. And I am angry. And and it's because you start seeing like all of that bullshit was put on us and, and we all still do things that participate in it partially because everyone always is seeking safety, right? So like when you tell that story about your, about your prom, you knew all the things you needed to do to stay safe and you did them because you had well learned that and you were doing it like a pro. Probably all three of us got up this morning before we did this and ironed hair. I mean, that's like the most ridiculous thing anybody's ever said. We Who decided we would start ironing hair? Like, I don't even know when that first happened. That somebody was like, you know what would be good? We should get on an iron and put it on our heads. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Do you know, fun factoid, I'm sorry for interrupting, but that we had just, just the sex person in me is saying we had. Right, so if that tells you something, <laughs> the plug-in vibrators I mean, before... We had plug-in yeah, irons. irons. Right there, but <laughs> right? it's, it, it's like, I'm just I, saying we have a we do have some priorities. <laughs> it's like it's just it's like we've all learned how we stay safe, right? Like we've all learned like what helps us get our needs met. And for women, looking a certain way helps you get your needs met. Helps people pay attention. Helps people listen. That's such utter bullshit, right? It's such utter bullshit that we should all have to do those things. But, but all of us in all of the skin colors that we come in and all the bodies that we come in have learned like how to work with what we have. But again, according to like societal conditioning and in no place does that come out like stronger than social media, right? It's just like one vacuum of social conditioning. So like in general, I hate it. I hate it. And I don't, I have a Facebook account. I don't remember the last time I was on it. I frankly only go on there when I need to ask the women of my community for anything because they all know everything and I don't know it. I, I don't know anything. So if I need something, I'm just like, okay, mothers of the community, tell me where, who's going to mow my lawn this year. I don't know. But like, but the, but the bigger deal is like, and then I have an Instagram account and I just told y'all, you're like the only people I know that I actually follow of my actual like friends because I, I keep Instagram separate and I mostly just follow things I'm interested in. So it's just like a curly curated list of stuff about consciousness and astrology and on all the witchy things that I care about. And so I don't actually have to like get stressed out there. Whereas when I go to the other one, I get stressed out. So my personal rule for myself, because social media does have, like I would never have access to all the different people talking about consciousness in my daily community. Um, it gives me access to all of that. So there's some good stuff there, 
but I've, I keep really two different, like totally different curated things because, and then I pay a lot of attention to my body. So when I'm on Facebook, honestly, within about 30 seconds, depending on if it's an election year or not, I start feeling like clenched and like my chest starts to like tighten up a little bit as I'm scrolling down. And as soon as I feel the clench, I'm out. I'll to, like, and I just have a like really hard limit. Like you can't look at this anymore. Um, and on the other one, it's all stuff I'm super curious about and interested in. And so um, I try to resist, like, sometimes I'll tell people I'm not going to take your invitation <laughs> because like, I, I will just now have to make a second account that's like, that I ignore everybody on. And then I go to that one so that I can keep all my witchy stuff happening because it's like a calm and soothing place for me then. And I think just paying attention again to like the internal process is so important. I, I said this to, to somebody and I, and I, I think it's, it's, it's a hard thing is that as you're learning to like lean into the internal, like I said about myself that I am more in alignment with the internal environment. And so more out of alignment with the external environment than I ever have been in my life. And that can be a hard part about like tuning into your inner consciousness, turning in, tuning into your inner knowing is that the more you do that, the more you realize all the things I did that were societally accepted need to go. Like those were not in alignment with me. Those are, those are horizontally aligned, not vertically aligned. And so um, when I align with like, what is like truest, like what is truest for me, it, it is not all the trappings, right? It's not all the things that society said were important. So then I might start doing things that are at odds with what people expect of me. And as I do that, people make sort of like resonate out of my life. And I really think of like resonance and like congruence as words that matter a lot to me. Or I think when I, as we heal, we change. And frankly, we like our vibe changes. Like we vibrate people out of our life. Like they, they're just not in alignment anymore. We don't like resonate together. And so I pay a lot of attention with like, so like what feels like it is life-giving to me and what feels like it is draining and trying to like snip out, like you pinch off little flowers in a, in a, in a pot, like snip off the dead, the dead stuff as fast as you can so that all the growth energy can go into like the parts that you want to keep growing. And the same thing I think has to happen in our lives where we have to sort of be like, oh, that's not for me anymore. And I don't even know if it ever was, but it's not anymore. And sometimes that's like a, such a hard thing to do because it even happens with friendships that you really still care about that person, but they're not in alignment with you anymore. And you don't even really know why you don't have an excuse. Like you could come up with one. People do. It always makes me sad when relationships are ending that people like find all these reasons. I'm like, it's okay to just say no. Like, it's just okay to say, I don't belong here anymore. And I, I don't even know why you're a lovely human. I'm a lovely human. We don't belong together as you said that I was thinking about the plant stuff because in Minnesota it's like big plant season and sometimes it's hard to clip those growing parts but if it's not growing the way that you want or the way that you're planning or the way that your that your vision is it's okay to just say oh hey hey mm -hmm. and you know the reality is a lot of things you could just plunk in some other kind of water and they will still grow on their own but they don't need to be a part of the rest of this story. And so the idea that it's okay to say no to some things as you're listening to yourself and your own vision and put some of that other stuff somewhere else where it will continue to grow and that's beautiful works. 
right? It's like all of it continues to do something. It doesn't have to just be this moment, this relationship, this experience. It's that everything will continue to do its stuff. It's how much do I need to be involved in it and how that makes a difference. In fact, just exactly like you were saying with the social media stuff, it's like, well, hold on. (laughs) Sometimes I just need to clip this off because it is not doing good stuff for me. And you know by listening to your body and listening to the wisdom within your body to say, oh, this doesn't feel good. I get totally what you're saying about the witchiness of like the things that you want to be looking at and what that makes you feel like. Cause I know I go onto an Instagram that I love and I'm like, it's like a ritual in the morning. It's almost like a meditation. And that feels so different than scrolling through something else where I'm going almost like, what am I going to find? What am I going to see what's happening today? And it's a, it's like a feeding versus a protecting from. And So much of what we do is connected to the air we breathe. Like you said, your nieces, right? Just they already knew that nonverbal communication, that nonverbal in some ways validation that was met with like the smiles and the, yay, you're doing what you're supposed to do. This is wonderful, is very hard to unlearn in some ways or even know because it's so deep. It's so completely in the air that we breathe. And so as I loved how you named baby, like if you're a baby in this, that's okay. Take these kinds of steps. You know, if you're like rocking on expert mode, like holy buckets, you should be on a mountain somewhere probably meditating, right? Like this is very different. But if you do wherever you're at, there's a place to start. And that's what I hear where I feel like, okay, there's hope here. I may not know exactly what it's connected to. I may not exactly know why but I know I can start somewhere. Well, and that's why you picked your partner. Honestly, like I'm say, I always say this is so unpopular when I say this to my clients. And I'm like, you didn't pick your partner for happiness. I don't know what you're thinking. You picked your partner for growth. So you purposely picked somebody who was going to trigger the crap out of you forever. I mean, well done. That was very smart of your like higher self, your soul self, but your actual self is like, this was a stupid idea. I shouldn't have picked this person. But like you picked them because like you were just saying, Jenny, like you don't always know where this thing came from, but you know what will help you figure it out? Getting crap triggered out of you. So like now you're in the kitchen having a huge reaction to something and you either want to flee like Delray wants to do, or you want to like go at it. Like I might want to do. Like It's like, like the, like you're, you're either hot or cold, but you're in there. Like, it's like, that's going to be like living with somebody who is going to provoke you all the time, which is what partners are just really, really good at doing. And it's like, like, I feel like we make these like soul contracts with partners come and like provoke me. And then that will show me my work. Right. So like, the, the relationship that I talked about, that human was so good in our, during our relationship and in his absence of like dropping little locator pins on the map of Jen to tell me where all my work still is. So like, like that love grew me so much, even in its absence, because it was always showing me where my work is, which is not an easy way to have a relationship. But I think that's how most of us are, is that like, when your partner's on their phone and ignoring you, that is showing you where some of your work is. And that's not showing, that's maybe also showing you where his work is, but that is not useful. Like people are always coming into session, talking to me, like if they're coming in individual session and they want to talk to me about all the ways that their partner's wrong. I'm like, yeah, they're not here. So like, we have no control over that. We could spend like a lot of your money and, and our time together, like just talking about how we could fix your partner who is, has no interest in being fixed by us. Or we could take like, again, 
put our own eggs in our own emotional basket and like be like, okay, that's though showing me a part of me that didn't get enough attention. That's showing me a part that needs to, for me to show up and say like, I see you, I hear you. It's not to say that we then deal with, we never ask our partner for anything, but like soothing that part that your, that your partner so lovingly shows you by ignoring you, <laughs> by, by being in his own world. Um, Cause let's be honest, most of us aren't going around thinking about how can I make my long-term partner happier today? Let's be honest. That's not what long-term partnership is. Like, we, That's like the first six months. That's cute. But we're not doing that for a lot longer after that. So like, so really like we thoughtfully picked them for growth, even while, while the happiness, like just like the cute baby drew us in. Like really it's a, it's a growth related like prospect that, you know, it's a container for growth at its best relationships are, I think. So like picking a container that is safe enough to do really hard emotional work. That's the key. It's not picking somebody who makes you happy. It's picking somebody who is like committed to growth and committed to creating safety for both people's growth, even when we might be growing in ways that scare each other. I believe this conversation, if you both agree, deserves a part two. (laughs) It does. Always happy to talk to you ladies. (laughs) What I heard is you have clear intentions and boundaries, especially when it comes to external validation I would also love to deep dive into how do we create that container for ourselves? What emotional cues are important for us to be able to do some of that deep work? I just got back from my fourth graders class camping trip. And who would have thought that I would feel most intimate with myself in a space uh, container like that nature around children with awe, curiosity and wonder conversations with nine-year-olds that have not yet understood how the world is shaping them and marketing to them and trying to externally validate them and how safe it is to be in an environment like that um, and really take in those moments and its connection. I was actually reading a book around the campfire and it's called Together. It's by the Surgeon General who is touching on the epidemic of loneliness and how out of touch we truly are with ourselves and that disconnection that is created amongst each other and humanity because of it. And I would love to deep dive into what skill sets we need in order to develop those containers on part two. Um, I'm so grateful for the both of you. And this was such a beautiful, refreshing conversation. Uh, We're going to have Jen back for part two, if you're open to it, my friend. (laughs) I would love to. I would love to. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Dr. Jenny. So grateful for you introducing us to Jen. Um, we're, We're so excited to deep dive into our Unlocking Intimacy course launching on my birthday. June 24th. Uh, We are doing a four-part live coaching Zoom, and we're going to have Jen as an expert trainer as well. So definitely join us. You'll find the link in the show notes, and we can't wait uh, for you to be a part of what we're doing, Jen. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, that concludes another episode of Well-Spoken Podcast. Remember, stay open, curious, and think abundantly to co-create a better future together.